welcome to my mommy's podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Jigsaw Health, my source for magnesium. You probably know if you've read my blog that magnesium is responsible for over 300 biochemical reactions in the body. It impacts blood pressure, metabolism, immune function, and many other aspects of health, including hormones. It's known as the master mineral, and it's one of the few supplements I take regularly. And I have found a specific way to take it that works best for me in very specific forms because magnesium is taken in the wrong way. It can lead to digestive upset, or if it's taken too quickly, it can cause all kinds of problems. So I take two supplements, one called MagSRT, which is a slow release form of dimagnesium malate. The slow release technology makes it easier on the digestive system, so I don't get any of the digestive disturbance that comes with some forms of magnesium. I take this form in the morning and at lunch, so two capsules with breakfast, two capsules with lunch, and at night I take a different product called MagSoothe, which is magnesium glycinate, which is magnesium bound with the amino acid glycine to help sleep. And in combination, I notice the biggest effect from those two particular products. You can check them both out and save by going to jigsawhealth.com forward slash wellness mama and the code wellness10 will give you $10 off any order. So again, that's J-I-G-S-A-W health.com, jigsawhealth.com forward slash wellness mama, all one word. And the code wellness10, all lowercase, gives you $10 off. This podcast is sponsored by Blue Blocks. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X which is an advanced light filtering eyewear company. You've probably seen pictures of me on social media wearing orange glasses of various types at night. And here's why. In nature, we aren't exposed to certain types of light after dark, specifically blue light, because that type of light signals the body that it's daytime. That in turn suppresses melatonin and can interfere with sleep. This is the reason that a really dramatic study found that camping for seven days straight with no artificial light at all could actually completely reset and heal circadian rhythm and help a lot of light-related problems like seasonal affective disorder. This is also the reason that I wear orange glasses after dark to block these types of light and protect my sleep, which I am adamant about protecting. I also wear certain types of yellow glasses and anti-fatigue glasses during the day if I'm on a computer to reduce eye fatigue. Blue Blocks has orange glasses and yellow glasses. Their orange glasses for nighttime wear are designed to block 100% of the wavelengths between 400 nanometers and 550 nanometers, which are the ones that are studied to interfere with sleep and melatonin production and circadian rhythm. My kids also wear these kinds of glasses at night, and I notice a difference in their sleep as well, which is a huge win for a mom. This is especially important when we're watching a family movie at night or looking at any kind of screen as the artificial light there is a source of blue light and can interfere with sleep. You can learn more. They have a ton of educational content and check out all of their innovative protective glasses by going to blueblocks.com forward slash wellness mama and using the code wellness mama to save 15%. So again, that's blueblocks.com, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com forward slash wellness mama and the code wellness mama all one word and all lowercase to save 15%. Hello and welcome to the wellness mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com and wellness.com that's wellness with an e on the end which is my new line of personal care products like hair care and toothpaste that are completely safe and as effective as conventional alternatives. 
And this episode, I am so excited to have today's repeat guest, Dr. Amy Shaw, who is a double board certified doctor and nutrition expert with training from Cornell, Columbia, and Harvard University. She's also one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram at FastingMD. And drawing from her background in internal medicine and allergy and immunology, as well as her own wellness journey, she has dedicated her practice to helping her patients feel better and live healthier using integrative and holistic approaches to wellness. She has a list as long as my arm of accolades and awards, but she's also just a great voice for moms and women and in health in very practical ways. And in this episode, we go deep on the idea of something called circadian fasting, which even if you're not into fasting at all, it's a very easy intro way to get into fasting with a lot of really profound benefits. So she explains how you can use this simple method as a method of anti-aging for a lot of aspects of health. Um, She really goes deep on the research and how you can implement it. Really fascinating episode, and I can't wait to jump in. Here we go. Dr. Amy, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me again, Katie. Well, your first episode was so popular and I loved our conversation that I knew I wanted to have you back on. And I have seen you posting so much right now on Instagram and about one of my favorite topics that I knew we had to have an in-depth conversation about it. And that is fasting in all of its forms, but specifically circadian fasting, which you are a big proponent of. So to start broad, can you explain what that means, what circadian fasting is? Yes. So I know, Katie, you're a busy mom. I'm a busy mom. And I know a lot of your listeners are busy in so many different ways. And I was trying to think of a way to incorporate intermittent fasting in my life that made sense into a busy life with a family. And when I found the science behind circadian rhythms, which is basically that every single cell in our body has a clock. And if you can tune your body to this clock, everything works better. Your gut your brain, your immune system, your hormones specifically. So I'm combining the science of circadian rhythms with the science of intermittent fasting, and that's what circadian fasting is. And so it sounds really complicated, but really it's super simple. It's basically not eating three hours before bed and then going to bed and then waking up and having breakfast. And so there would be a break of between 12 to 16 or 18 hours between the last time you ate food the night before and the first time you eat food the next day. And so it's something that's maybe a little stretch if you're someone who's a typical American who eats you know, 15, 16 hours a day, but it's not so much of a, stress, a stretch that um, you can't incorporate it into your busy life. Yeah. And I think there's an important distinction here that we can talk about because this kind of lines up with the idea of time-restricted eating or time-restricted feeding. And I know there have been a lot of studies on this by people like Dr. Sachin Panda and others. And the data really is compelling when they look at time-restricted eating and different windows from eating in even just like a 12-hour window or an eight-hour window. I know they've done research on cancer patients and all kinds of different scenarios and found that eating in even just a little bit shorter of a window is important. But I feel like circadian fasting is supportive in another degree as well, which is that you're kind of timing this with the body's natural rhythm, with sleep, and with light in a lot of cases, because typically we're sleeping when it's dark. And so avoiding eating after dark and avoiding eating during that time. But what does the data say that you're seeing about the benefits of time-restricted eating, and especially in circadian fasting, when you're timing it with your sleep? 
Yes. So great questions. And absolutely in the science, scientific literature, this type of intermittent fasting is really considered time-restricted eating or time-restricted feeding when it comes to animal studies. And so the animal studies have been quite robust. Dr. Panda is one of the lead researchers at the Salk Institute, and they talk about it's not, you know, just what you eat, when you eat, you could feed animals the same exact diet, but you restrict the time that they eat it in and they have less disease than animals who are eating all day and all night long. And it makes sense, Katie, because think about it. Our bodies are set to have a metabolism time and a repair and renew time. And because we can't be doing everything all the time. So there has to be a time where we actually repair and renew. And the trigger for that for us is nighttime and the trigger is no food. So for example, when your body senses that there's no food coming, it switches on the repair and renewal pathways, which we so badly need. But if you think about it, it's like having guests all the time. So if in a a typical Western diet, we are having guests all the time, all day, all night until the very late into the night, sometimes 11, 12 midnight. So it's like, how could you ever clean your kitchen, clean, deep clean your house if you were constantly entertaining guests? And so you think about it the same way. Like if you're constantly eating, when are you ever going to get to deep clean and repair your cell? And that's why they think that timing your food as well as restricting your food and making good food choices are all equivalently important in long-term health. Got it. And I know it's, I've done a lot of research, kind of a deep dive into this as well in the past few years. Um, And the research in general about fasting really is incredible. And there's so many different types, obviously, and everything from water fasting, which they've done studies with chemo patients on all the way to just eating in a time-restricted window. And then of course, everything in between. Are there any other benefits that we know from the literature on fasting in general? And can you get these same benefits from shorter term circadian fasting versus a water fast? Or are there a time and a place for a water fast as well? So you mean like an extended water fast versus um, kind of these shorter windows? Yes. So there's definitely, there's so many benefits of, you know, of fasting for 24 hours, or even, um, I know you do even extended fasting like three and five days. And I think that the benefits of those are enormous, you know, because you really get into the autophagy, autophagy zone, which is basically happening at all levels. Um, it's happening right now to you, even if you're not fasted, but it really ramps up at the 24, at the 48 hour. So there are, you know, benefits, life lengthening benefits, anti-aging benefits, metabolism benefits that happen with longer fast, but you can get so many of those benefits, even with this shorter um, windows of fasting. And so I think that what I was really shocked at was Ruth Patterson's study, which looked at cancer, uh, breast cancer uh, survivors. And they looked at women who had a history of breast cancer and um, had them do either like you know, 13 hours of fasting or no fasting at all, just regular advice. Because they said, you know, we want to give these women who are breast cancer survivors the least stressful activity. Don't want to bombard them with long, long fasts because they're already possibly, you know, suffering in other ways. And so they did this short fasting intervals, kind of like what we're talking about with the, with the circadian fasting. And they only fasted about 13 hours a night. And they saw over the long term, a 34% decrease in 
breast cancer recurrence. And for me, that is enough to say, hey, you know, even in people who have not had breast cancer, that has big implications for us as a society, because it's one of the first big human trials um, looking at shorter fasting intervals. Gotcha. And I feel like my listeners probably do have a pretty good idea, but for anyone who hasn't heard the term autophagy before, can you explain that to us? Yes, sure. So, you know, there is a process that happens in our cell. It's basically self-cleaning of the cell. So when autophagy is happening, and this happens in certain states, it happens with, um, you know, intermittent fasting can definitely stimulate it. Exercise can stimulate it. Heat stress can often stimulate. So basically what happens is your body turns on this process or turns up, I guess I should say, because it's always happening at some low levels, turns up the process of cleaning up our cells. It's a, they take out the garbage, they clean out the cell. It's actually like a self-cleaning method. And the reason why that's so important, Katie, is that we know that when you're looking at aging cells, they're really you know, not doing as much their autophagy levels are just lower and slower. And as the cell gets older, it's almost a way you can age the cell. So if you look at a cell under the microscope, when it isn't going undergoing that self-cleaning process, it just looks older. It's not functioning as well as a younger cell that has a robust autophagy process. So if you can boost the levels um, of how much autophagy you're doing on a regular basis by intermittent fasting or exercise, like why wouldn't you do that? It's like a free anti-aging tool um, that you can use because that cell under the microscope looks as young as a younger cell. And you can imagine that there's almost, there is actually no medication, no cream, no other thing that we have in this world that actually does that. So that's um, kind of the very exciting part of autophagy. It's not just for disease, but also for anti-aging. Awesome. I think that's a good segue too. So let's talk about the aging component because hopefully most people listening don't have something like breast cancer or worry about that recurring or um, a serious health problem, but fasting has a lot of implications in the aging process as well, from what I understand. So if someone's just looking to kind of age more gracefully, what can fasting do there? Yeah. So I'm just like I told you, every skin cell, um, every cell in our body has a clock, even our skin cells. So the example of skin seems to hit home for women really well, because if you think about it, our skin has cells that um, have clocks as well. And so what they found in a study was that, hey, if you eat late into the night and, um, and your skin actually ages faster. You have more UV damage because your cells never get a chance to do that cleanup process, that um, sleep, that kind of repair process. And so you end up having less UV damage when you are doing time-restricted feeding or time-restricted eating, so circadian fasting, in other words. And so for women, less UV damage means less age spots, less wrinkles, and basically, you know, having younger looking skin that comes from no cream, but comes from actually activity that you can do for free. I love that. And so when you talked about 
fasting and especially longer fast, I want to have a note here specific to women because I know there's conflicting advice about if women should do long fast in general. And if so, if there's any special considerations, and I'll be the first to say that even though this is something I do relatively regularly, it's not something I recommend across the board or to anyone. It's just I know what works for me after a lot of years of experimentation and importantly, making sure my hormones and my gut were both in a really good place before I started doing long fasting. But you mentioned there are some benefits to longer fasting. Do you have any special considerations that you would give to women, especially if they're considering that? And is this something you do as well? Great question. So I am that person who tried, you know, longer fasting and failed and learned the hard way that it wasn't for me. But that's not to say that I won't do longer fasting. But what I tell women especially, and not every woman, like you said, everybody's very different depending on your genetics, depending on your baseline um, health status, your gut and your hormones. But for many, many women in childbearing age, they have a hard time with longer fast because we think that our bodies hormonally are designed to protect against long-term starvation because we, you know, in the case of if we were going to carry a fetus, potentially our body's protecting us and turning off ovulation or turning off the ability to carry a baby if it senses that um, you're in starvation uh, or long-term starvation. So what happens to many people and what happened to me and what could happen potentially, we still don't understand exactly, is that you start fasting too aggressively for your own body and maybe too fast. And what you end up having is hormonal disarray. Your body starts to turn off the uh, signals for ovulation, and then you get, say, a missed period, or you get a longer cycle, or you get an irregular cycle. And those to me are danger signs when someone is fasting that, hey, this is a an alarm that your body's setting off that, hey, we don't feel like your body's capable of carrying a child. And even if you're not interested in getting pregnant, that's a sign that you are going a little too hard on the fasting, or a lot too hard. And for me, that that actually did happen. I first, you know, started fasting really aggressively. First, I started, you know, sixteen um, hours of fasting every day, and then like day three, I started to get really, really hungry and really tired. So I tell people that that's another sign: your hunger, your cravings, your mood, and your energy are great markers, non-invasive markers of how a health plan is going for you. If by day three, four, five, you are feeling exhausted, you're having cravings, you're feeling moody, your sleep is disturbed, that's a sign you need to back off. But say you don't listen to those signs, like I didn't listen to those signs, and this happens to a lot of other women, and you just keep going and you try to even do more aggressive ones like 24, maybe 30, 48, and you notice that now, oh, I missed my period. I'm always usually at 28 days, and now I didn't have one for, say, 35 or didn't have one at all. That's a, That to me is a sign that there is something off. Um, the health of your cycles is the health of a woman women's hormones. Um, it's a sign. So that's when I back off. Now, there's very few studies on this. There's a couple of animal studies that looked at very aggressive prolonged fasting in, in rat studies, and they did see a halt in ovulation. Um, but I tell women, listen, this is not something that you you cannot do just because, um, you know, at the extremes, it could be too aggressive for you. Just work yourself up. So the long answer to your short question is work yourself up to that position. Just like you mentioned, you really worked on it and you worked on 
working your body up to that point. And so if you have been doing intermittent fasting or circadian fasting or any, and for, you know, months, um, and maybe years, and you want to try a um, extended fast, that is something that you could do in a crescendo fashion. So now I've worked myself up. So I do a 24 hour kind of a dinner to dinner fast, uh, once a month, according to the research studies that were done on the Mormon population, they do a Sunday fast, and they have found enormous differences in cardiac um, outcomes in people who do that Sunday fast versus people who do not, even when they try to control for all the other health practices that, you know, Mormon population may do differently than the general population. They still found that the Sunday fast was an independent item or independent activity that improved uh, cardiac outcomes in that population. Yeah, that's a great point. And and like you said, working up to it, I think is key. And like with any study, we can use studies for good kind of general information, but I'm a big proponent of at the end of the day, we're all responsible for our own health. And we find our best health when we figure out specifically what works best for us based on experimentation and genes and testing. And so if I'm doing a long fast, I'm I'm definitely testing first. I'm letting my doctor know. I know my level's going in. I'm testing coming out to make sure I haven't messed, interfered with hormones or hurt my thyroid. Like I'm very cautious of that. And I know a lot of people, um, like that seems like a lot and something I feel like I need to do if I'm going to do extended fast and something not everybody necessarily is willing to do. And that's why I'm like, I don't think long fasting necessarily is for everyone, but that's why things like circadian fasting are amazing because you can get, like you said, not all, but most of the benefits with much shorter fasts like that. And I feel like it's been a common theme in research. And even just uh, a lot of experts will say, you know, don't eat late at night or don't eat right before bed. That's recurring advice, but the research really supports that. Even if that's the only change you make, like you said, I feel like you get such a boost by not eating late at night. Are there specific guidelines that are helpful for instance, like I feel great when I stop eating at like five or six, like pretty early in the evening, even though I'm not going to bed at eight o'clock. Are there guidelines for helping figure out that kind of sweet spot ratio of how far in advance of either sunset or bedtime? Yes. So I love how you're phrasing it. There's so many benefits of, you know, people will criticize me and say, oh my God, you're promoting this very unhealthy practice uh, that's restrictive. And what I come back with them is, you know, actually what we're doing as a status quo is the unhealthy practice, which is eating late into the night, um, telling people to eat every couple of hours, like that is actually the unhealthy recommendation. So eating, not eating three hours before bed is a, should be a standard recommendation for better gut health, for better sleep, you know, for better mental health. And what I usually tell people is when I work with people, I say, you know, start with that and do say 12 hours in the beginning. If you've never, ever, ever tried this before, that would be a good spot to start. And, you know, of course, check with your doctor because not everybody fits into that category, but many, many people can start at the 12 hour point. So maybe it's like from seven to seven. And then just like you're mentioning, Katie, I am the same way. Like, say three days, say you get used to the 12 hour thing. And that's still a big improvement off of what you were doing before. And then three days a week, you push that. So you may push that meaning eat your dinner even earlier. So maybe you decide with your family that, Hey, we're going to eat a very early dinner tonight. And you know, this seems so crazy to some people and so doable to others. So it really just depends on your lifestyle to maybe eat dinner at five or maybe 
end your dinner at six, a couple of days a week, maybe non-consecutive days and see how you feel in the morning. That's when I think the magic really starts to happen is when you stop eating at five and then maybe you don't eat again until eight or nine in the morning after a fasted workout. And that's when you're actually going to get into that autophagy and into that metabolic switching zone. That's when you're going to see even additional benefits from doing this kind of fasting. And another area that I think, well, I'm curious your take on. So I've noticed I feel better when I eat lunch as my biggest meal because it tends to be higher in protein and just higher in food volume, which then gives me more time to digest all of that before bedtime, even though I'm still eating a smaller dinner. Do you know if there's any research that backs that up? Or like, I know in some countries, lunch is the bigger meal, dinner is slower. Yeah, I think that, you know, it really, the research really does look at 12 to 5 being a good digestion zone. And actually very interesting because this is where Ayurveda, like Eastern medicine and Western medicine kind of agree is to eat the bulk of your meals between that, exactly what you just said, between the hours of 12 and five, where you're kind of, you know, maybe eating a smaller dinner um, and you're eating a no or smaller breakfast. And um, that seems to be the, the kind of strongest digestion. And that is something like, I love when Eastern and Western medicine agree on something. And that's one of the places that seems to be really powerful um, and agree. So exactly when I describe a circadian rhythm, because people always say, give me some guidelines, like some bumpers. And I say, okay, well, if you ate the bulk of your meals between 12 and five, and then maybe stopped eating around five or six, a couple days a week, and then you're um, stopping your blue light. And I know you're a proponent of this too. Say you stop every all the blue light 90 minutes before bed, because this is all kind of circadian sinking. And as you know, one bout of blue light delays your melatonin by 90 minutes. So say you stop everything, the blue lights 90 minutes before bed, and you just use, you know, um, either blue light blocking glasses, or you just use no blue light, just a very soft yellow light or no light. And then you read a book or um, do your skincare routine or play with your kids or whatever it may be to wind down. Um, maybe there's some meditation in that. And then you go to sleep, ideally say 10 o'clock. Okay. And then 11 o'clock, you get usually one hour after you go to bed, you get this huge burst of human growth hormone, HGH, which is the hormone that repairs your injuries. That's the one that's everybody loves for skin and muscle repair and making you feel younger and more energetic. So you get that big burst. Um, So they call it beauty sleep for a reason because there's actually is a burst. Um, you get a second smaller burst right before you wake up as well or early in the uh, morning as well. And so say um, then you know about all these sleep studies that show that you have, there's so much benefit in sleeping about um, eight hours. So you wake up, um, say at 6 a.m. And what I recommend people do is get some sunlight, get some sunlight. If you have, you live in a place that even has some daylight uh, between 6 and 10 a.m., go outside barefoot if you can, get some daylight and really start your day in a very positive fashion. You will see your energy levels skyrocket. If you can fast 
do a fasted workout before you break your fast even better. So that's kind of like rough goalposts um, throughout the day. And uh, I tell people, listen, I understand people have different differing schedules. You know, you may work a night shift. I get it. Like this is not supposed to be, you know, right for hundred percent of the population. But if you're someone who's like, Hey, I, I want some goalposts to figure out how to do this and try it for my own body. That would be something I, um, I would uh, suggest. Yeah. I love everything you brought up. And I think just two important things to echo and to like go a little deeper on the first being so like eating in that shorter window and not snacking. I feel like a lot of adults will sometimes consider that advice, but then they're hesitant to not give their kids lots of snacks or to not just feed kids whenever they're hungry, even if it's late at night. And so I'm really curious your take on that as a parent, because I know from the research I've read, at least even any break that we give ourselves from digestion is really beneficial, like you said, to the liver and in so many other ways, including during the day. So while we think we only eat three meals a day, when researchers actually look at it, most people in the U.S. eat up to 17 meals a day because every time we ingest even just like a mouthful of food, our digestive process starts and we don't really give our bodies a break from that. So I'm curious, uh, how do you navigate this with your kids and are there any other considerations? Okay. So let's be honest, Katie, during quarantine, it's been like a total snack slash eating fest um, in our house. And we had to really curb that exact problem is that, you know, when you're home and you have access to food, you have access to the kitchen all the time, there's a tendency to really snack a lot more. And you're right in the American culture for children, especially there is almost, you know, not more than two hours that go by without someone um, eating something. And so what I have um, roughly done with my own kids, and I, I think it really depends on the age of your children. But what I've done is uh, my kids are 10 and 12, and they do really well with kind of a 12 hour fast, which basically is not like a stuck in stone. But basically, what we say is after dinner, um, they have a dessert. Um, and we allow uh, dessert after dinner as their dessert of the day kind of thing. And then they don't eat anything after that until the next day. And that way, that kind of gives bookends to the day. Like I will say, we'll save it for dessert or less, you know, because they'll be asking me for a snack or a sweet snack. And they're like, so innocent, these children, they, of course, for them, their taste buds are going to be lit up. Um, their brain is going to light up when they eat a processed sugary snack. And so they're going to want that much more than a piece of fruit, for example. So the way I kind of navigate around that, instead of saying no all the time, I say, you know what, if there's something like, um, you know, a homemade chocolate dessert that you want to have, you save it for once you finish your meals for the day, and then we're going to basically stop for the rest of the night. So they eat their uh, one um, snack or whatever dessert um, after dinner, and then they're done uh, for the night. And the reason why I say 12 hours is a good, is a good benchmark is that it's basically three hours before bed and then they wake up and they can eat breakfast again. And that's, um, you know, with growing children, you always want to weigh the risks and the benefits of um, a lot of this stuff. Definitely agree. And I also love that you brought up light because I think this is an area that we're just starting to understand the research on and people are kind of finally coming around to, but it can be really, really dramatic. And I think it's easy to discount because it's unlike food, we don't feel an immediate energy boost or we don't necessarily feel the immediate change from changing our light habits. But over time, like I've seen the results of this in my lab work and certainly in my sleep quality and in my kids' sleep quality. So I think this is a big one for parents that you 
touched on. And I'd love to go a little deeper on it because like you were big fans of the morning sunlight as a family and I'll drink tea or coffee outside often, um, non-caloric. So I'm still in that fasting window, but that makes a huge, huge difference in sleep, both for adults and especially in kids. And I know for parents, it's like anything you can do that makes your kids sleep better, you want to know. So talk a little bit more about how we can use light to our advantage, especially hand in hand with this type of circadian fasting. So exactly what you said, you know, sleep is at, you know, every time I read the research on sleep, and I know that your audience and my audience is so in tune with this, and we've heard all the benefits of sleep ranging from the brain benefits, the gut benefits, to the hormone benefits, to the, you know, there's just benefits on benefits, but there's children especially are sensitive to this light dark cycle and i think that what we do wrong as a culture is you know we don't do morning sunlight outdoors and get nature time and then we don't have an evening wind down routine and then the children um, just like us are wound up at bed and just like i said you know one bout of blue light so one show in the evening is delaying their melatonin release by 90 minutes. And you need that melatonin release to actually feel sleepy. And so what I usually recommend to people and what I do myself is that about, you know, calculate 90 minutes before their bedtime. And then that's when the devices and everything turns off. If you do, you know, allow them to have that depending on their age. And then Maybe you do an evening routine, just like the adults do an evening routine. My children have an evening routine that they do. And maybe that includes um, a little bit of reading. Maybe that's a little meditation practice. Maybe that's just, you know, talking softly, going over your day in the darkness. And it's, it's so crazy, Katie, that this is like weird to people because, you know, if you think about it for hundreds and thousands of years, that's how life was. I mean, until what smartphones didn't even come out till, you know, I was in college. I think I started using, no, actually way later than that. uh, It was computers and email that we started using in college. And then, so you can imagine that it wasn't too long ago that turning off blue lights was standard because there wasn't, you know, it was really just the TV that you could be using. Um, So we really need to reset the way we, you know, set up our kids for the night so that they can get a restful sleep as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, so, so important. And these little things can make a huge, huge difference. And also when it comes to light is the issue of vitamin D and sunlight. And I would love to hear your take on this because I know that the research shows that vitamin D levels are really important for a whole lot of aspects of health and that it's not just a vitamin, it's actually a pre-hormone. And right now, of course, we're seeing data about vitamin D being important for good outcomes with upper respiratory infections. We know it's tied to the immune system. We know for kids and hormones, it's vitally important and that you definitely don't want to have very low vitamin D levels. Um, And I'm a big fan of getting moderate sunlight for this reason and also also testing vitamin D and supplementing if necessary, but it seems like you are also a fan of getting sunlight in appropriate amounts and vitamin D through the sun, but I'd love to hear your take on that in detail. Katie, you summarize it amazingly well, honestly, because I think that what you have to understand is vitamin D is an immune modulator. What, and that's a fancy way of saying that it works with the immune system. It works like a hormone. It works in a way that we have not seen um, any other vitamin work. In fact, when I was in immunology fellowship, it was hormone of the year because of its 
effects on the immune system that we're finding out now are huge. And I do believe that much of the population has a vitamin D deficiency. In fact, um, the correlative studies on COVID and vitamin D are very, very interesting. So what they found is that when you looked at vitamin D levels, the people who were deficient just had very, very much different course of COVID than people who had adequate D levels. And so not only did we know that it stops you from getting respiratory viruses, um, but it showed that it can improve your outcomes once you are infected. And so that has been really um, interesting in this situation, but we know that it works like a hormone. So if you're trying to balance your hormones, vitamin D is imperative. Testing your levels is imperative. I do believe like you um, in getting moderate sunlight. And so what people may say is like, okay, well, how, how do you like, how do you weigh this against the dermatologist recommendations of sunscreen all the time? And so what I do for myself and, you know, it's not perfect, but this is what I like is if I can get a chance to do sunlight in the morning, which I do most days, like you do, I go out without any kind of sunscreen or anything, basically first thing in the morning and get that morning sunlight. So it's really good for my circadian rhythms and get a little bit of vitamin D and then start my day. And then, you know, later in the, if you live in a very hot place, like I do, like, you know, the afternoon sun is quite strong in summer. So that's when I'm wearing sunscreen and not set spending more than, you know, 10 minutes bathing in the sun. Um, so that's basically how I couch both sides of the story here. Got it. This podcast is sponsored by Jigsaw Health, my source for magnesium. You probably know if you read my blog that magnesium is responsible for over 300 biochemical reactions in the body. It impacts blood pressure, metabolism, immune function, and many other aspects of health, including hormones. It's known as the master mineral, and it's one of the few supplements I take regularly. And I have found a specific way to take it that works best for me in very specific forms because magnesium is taken in the wrong way. It can lead to digestive upset, or if it's taken too quickly, it can cause all kinds of problems. So I take two supplements, one called Mag SRT, which is a slow release form of diamagnesium malate. The slow release technology makes it easier on the digestive system. So I don't get any of the digestive disturbance that comes with some forms of magnesium. I take this form in the morning and at lunch. So two capsules with breakfast, two capsules with lunch. And at night, I take a different product called Mag Soothe, which is magnesium glycinate, which is magnesium bound with the amino acid glycine to help sleep. And in combination, I notice the biggest effect from those two particular products. You can check them both out and save by going to jigsawhealth.com forward slash wellness mama. And the code wellness10 will give you $10 off any order. So again, that's J-I-G-S-A-W health.com, jigsawhealth.com forward slash wellness mama, all one word. And the code wellness10, all lowercase, gives you $10 off. This podcast is sponsored by Blue Blocks. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X, which is an advanced light filtering eyewear company. You've probably seen pictures of me on social media wearing orange glasses of various types at night. And here's why. In nature, we aren't exposed to certain types of light after dark, specifically blue light, because that type of light signals the body that it's daytime. That in turn suppresses melatonin and can interfere with sleep. This is the reason that a really dramatic study found 
that camping for seven days straight with no artificial light at all could actually completely reset and heal circadian rhythm and help a lot of light-related problems like seasonal affective disorder. This is also the reason that I wear orange glasses after dark to block these types of light and protect my sleep, which I am adamant about protecting. I also wear certain types of yellow glasses and anti-fatigue glasses during the day if I'm on a computer to reduce eye fatigue. Blue Blocks has orange glasses and yellow glasses. Their orange glasses for nighttime wear are designed to block 100% of the wavelengths between 400 nanometers and 550 nanometers, which are the ones that are studied to interfere with sleep and melatonin production and circadian rhythm. My kids also wear these kinds of glasses at night and I notice a difference in their sleep as well, which is a huge win for a mom. This is especially important when we're watching a family movie at night or looking at any kind of screen as the artificial light there is a source of blue light and can interfere with sleep. You can learn more. They have a ton of educational content and check out all of their innovative protective glasses by going to blueblocks.com forward slash wellness mama and using the code wellness mama to save 15%. So again, that's blueblocks.com, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com forward slash wellness mama and the code wellness mama, all one word and all lowercase to save 15%. So if you don't mind, can you take us through, I know you've kind of mentioned um, parts of your daily routine, but for you as a busy mom and a doctor and someone who is up on the research and understands circadian fasting and implements all of this, can you kind of walk us through what a day might look like? I, I know there's no like average day, especially right now, but just kind of some of the things that you do daily in what order? Yeah, great. So let's start with waking up. So I wake up about six o'clock and I did that because I trained my body to start to um, sync with circadian rhythm. So naturally I wake up around then. I will go barefoot outside. And I know not everybody has the opportunity to do this. If you live in a high rise, you're not going to walk out in your pajamas like in barefoot. So just keep in mind that uh, obviously you can change all of this or some of this. Um, So I walk outside if I can get a couple of stretches in, in the sunlight. Sometimes I will do my gratitude right there. Um, so it's done for the day. The gratitude statements changes everything. Even if you just name two or three things you're grateful for, especially around this time where mental health can really suffer. And so, but you can say, you know, I'm, I know this is happening to me, but I'm so happy to have my health and the health of my family. And I'm so lucky that I have a home to sleep in and a home to be, you know, quarantined in. So then I go inside and I get ready for the day. And usually what that means is a workout first. So then I'll get ready in my workout clothes and my sneakers and I'll go, if I can do a nature-based workout, I will do that. So there's studies, Katie, that show that rhythmic exercise is really, really calming for the brain. So rhythmic exercise is like walking or skating or swimming, something that, um, you know, you develop a breathing rhythm and a movement rhythm. It's almost like moving meditation. And so I love to incorporate some of that into my day um, if I can. And I, I try to do it fasted. And first thing in the morning in the na- in nature, because, you know, as moms, we love to multitask and this is like getting all of those things in one. And so then after that, I will usually shower and then break my fast. And usually when I break my fast, I break it first with what, well, water throughout, but with um, a tea and nuts. And the reason why I do that is that 
whenever you're breaking your fast, you don't want to like immediately eat a huge meal. And um, I, this is more important when you're doing longer fasts. But I also think that in general, I just made it a habit of kind of starting with a smaller meal or smaller snack, I guess I would call it, and um, start with the tea and nuts. And I just kind of kind of go slow with that. And then I will have my full meal. And my full meal in the morning is really not that big. It's usually a deconstructed smoothie because right now I got sick of having smoothies. So it's really just berries and veggies and, and nuts. And what I do is I take it with me to work and basically, you know, I'll have it. Um, I'll have the berries probably on the way to work and I'll have some of the other stuff throughout a little bit in the morning. And then I won't have anything until about 12, depending on when I break the fast you know, sometimes I'll break the fast, say, so if I'm giving you a a typical example, and I woke up at six, and I started working out between and from seven to eight, then I'll break my fast, say, 830 or nine. And I do that because um, there is some evidence that if you're trying to maintain muscle mass, or trying to build muscle mass, you can time your protein, kind of one hour after you break that fasted workout to retain some of the benefits of um, weight training. And so I do that. And my protein will be something like usually a plant based um, protein, either black beans, sprouted tofu, hummus, or it could be a um, sometimes if I'm in a rush, it'll be like a vegan protein shake or chia seed pudding, something like that. And then I always, always plan to have two big vegetable-based meals a day. So usually it's at 12 and five. And the reason why I do that is because there's so much benefit in feeding your gut bacteria prebiotic fiber. So uh, fibrous foods, especially from vegetables, can be transformative to your gut gut health. And you know, gut health is immune health and gut health is hormone health. So that's what I do for those meals. So it could be a stir fry, it could be a soup, it could be a salad, but something plant-based, vegetable-based, I mean, and very, very heavy on um, the vegetables. And then I will come home from work and spend time with the kids. And I usually, what I do is about, about eight o'clock, I will really seven thirty eight. we really turn off all the blue lights. So all the computers, the iPhones, the, um, everything around eight go seven thirty eight go off. And um, so everybody knows they can't text me after eight o'clock because I probably won't answer till the next morning. And so I know that if it's an emergency, they have the home line or whatever. So then basically, um, that's when I do my wind down routine. So the kids have a wind down routine. I have a wind down. My husband has a wind down routine. And then we basically, uh, wind down. I do my skincare. I do my prep for the next day, do a little more gratitude or a little meditation if I can. And then it's lights out, um, at 10. And that way I know I'm getting about eight hours of sleep every day. So that's kind of a rough outline of the day. I love that. And I love that you mentioned gratitude and just kind of bullet journaling a couple few things a day. I think that also makes a much bigger difference than we ever can anticipate just to shift our mindset like that. And I know you've also posted something on Instagram that I loved recently, that which you don't change, you choose. And I feel like you have so many great quotes about focusing on the positive and and focusing on the things we have the ability to choose and to impact, which especially right now seems ever important of, you know, because we can feel so uncertain and so helpless at times, but yet we still all have the power over things like this, like when we eat and what we eat and who we spend time with, with our family, you know, whether we go outside in the morning, there are so many small positive changes that we can make that make such a big difference. And I love that that's your focus in so many of your posts. Yeah. I, and I think Katie, I 
right back at you because I honestly really, really can relate to so many of your posts. They're so thoughtful. And I think that what I, what I'm trying to tell people is what works for me. Like I was in that dark place once and here's how I got out. And like right now with this whole, you know, COVID thing and quarantine, I also struggled a lot in the very beginning because what we don't know makes us anxious, like the future and the past are what our anxieties come from. Right. And so what I had to do for myself is I had to say, I need to focus on what I can control. And so that's what I was sharing with people is like, Hey, you can control only you and your own practices and your own habits. And if you would do that, that will take your anxiety level way down and bring your happiness level way up. Because as soon as you finish the task of say going outside in the morning and getting some sunlight, as soon as you finish the task of like, Hey, I finished my meals at 6 PM, you feel accomplished. You feel like you are controlling um, your environment and you feel good about that. And so anxiety goes way down. And that's what I found was so helpful for me. And that's why I share with a lot of people online too. I love that. Any, I'm curious, just on a personal level, any supplements or like beauty routines or things that you'd give advice to women, especially? That's a good question, Katie. I am so anti-supplements only because I just hate having to think about a million things in the morning to take. And so I'm very big minimizing how much you take every day, because these are all things that are modulating your body that can be best done by food. But it for targeted practices, like, for example, you know, melatonin has been really helpful for me to shift my sleep schedule. So if you're someone who is thinking about trying the circadian rhythm and trying to get back on track and you're just so off, you don't even know where to start. I would say, Hey, maybe you try taking a melatonin about 90 minutes before um, you want to go to sleep. And maybe you just take one milligram because um, most, you know, store-bought melatonins are very, very high dose. And so, or you use another um, kind of natural sleep uh, remedy, chamomile or something like that. You try that before bed to kind of reset your rhythm. And I do that every time I travel or if I'm off schedule because of, um, you know, other things going on. And I do love vitamin D as we discussed. Um, that's one of the only supplements that I take on a regular basis. And then I like adaptogens like uh, ashwagandha. I like amla. I like rhodiola. I like, because I feel that when you are in a situation, there are certain points in your life, um, and you may be in that point right now where your life feels like you're doing everything right, but you really need support on the stress control hormone balancing aspect. That's when these adaptogens can really be helpful. Um, and I do use them from time to time when I'm in those states. And that's really what I actually use when I was um, in my own kind of dark place and I had to take my health back. Um, to a different level. I am a fan of omega-3s, um, but I'll be honest, I'm not so great about taking them all the time. I, I really try to eat a very, very good diet and hope um, that I'm getting you know, at least some of that from there. And then other than that, sometimes I take magnesium, which is a nice way also to calm um, the body down in the evenings, um, something like a natural calm or whatever. And then during this time, there are lots of people who have been asking me like, what about vitamin C? And I am a huge fan of vitamin C. And I think that if you're someone who um, wants to boost up uh, or support your immune processes and you're doing everything else right, um, and you want to add some vitamin C, I think it's a very safe 
um, supplement because vitamin C is one of the vitamins that you can pee or poop out if you have too much. Like there are some vitamins that you A, D, E, and K where it cannot, you can overdose because your body's not capable of getting, it basically stores in the fat instead of being instead of being excreted, but vitamin C is quite safe and can be taken at very high levels. And you'll, once your body doesn't, doesn't need it, it'll just pee or poop it out. And you know, that's it. So during this time, a lot of people have chosen to do that. And I think that is um, definitely something that's valid. I love that. Any advice just kind of in our, I, when this airs, I'm hopefully we'll be in a little bit different of a scenario right now. Um, but just from like mom to mom, any advice in navigating this kind of constant changing dynamic with families and with all of the, that brings for health and for um, just how we interact? Yeah. You mean, you mean social um, aspects or just in general? Both. I feel like people are kind of in a, definitely increased stress right now, just because of, I mean, yeah, they say yeah. uncertainty is one of the biggest factors in stress. So is loneliness. And so a lot of us are having to navigate like isolation plus extra time with kids, plus extra chaos. Um, anything that you're finding that's helpful? That's a great, um, that's a great question. And I think from mom to mom, I think my children are in the same situation. I think that being outdoors and, you know, the calming effects of nature has really transformed us. And every time someone asks me what to do in the, is get outside, go for a walk, move your body, be in nature. Um, you will feel so much better. Um, and the other technique is that gratitude is like practice this with your children. Like, Hey, um, isn't it so great? You know, aren't you so grateful that you're able to go for a walk right now? And, or aren't you so grateful that you can still learn from home and you don't have to attend school and really flip the script so that you're not always talking about anxiety producing things. And now in the beginning, this is so bad, but Katie, we would watch like the news every evening because we were, you know, all of us were in the state of like constant change. And there was so much going on that we would just like watch the news. And then of course, after like a week of that, it got really old and really anxiety producing. And I couldn't sleep well, even if I've turned off the TV way before bedtime. And so what I realized is, hey, I need to compartmentalize and only consume the news when my mind is mentally ready for that. And so I only do it like twice a day now, because for me as a physician, I need to keep up on the science and the literature. So twice a day, I check in on what's going on in the world. Um, and then I don't, um, I don't look at it after that. That's a great point. I think I've had to limit. I actually have done that for probably a decade now. I just like limit exposure to the news and to most aspects of the media. And I realized I am not any less informed about the world or like the world hasn't ended because I'm not aware of all the things going on at all times. Uh, and my stress level is dramatically less. And I think right now you're right. That's such an important point is in whatever way it works best for us individually, like limit the sources of that. Because all of them are stressful right now. There's always so much uncertainty and we do have control over what we let in. I think that's a really, really important point. Yeah. I think it makes your mental health better. And, you know, honestly, I think that for me, I, I get so much more from discussions with really educated people. And um, so what I've been trying to do is having some real life phone or FaceTime or online discussions with people who are very, very, very well versed. So you get the benefits of relationship and get the benefits of conversation without having that scary kind of anxiety provoking headline um, of the news. And that's what I'm trying to also, when I do my Instagram updates, I try to be really like, as if a friend is talking to a friend instead of being like attention grabbing and um, anxiety producing with my headlines. 
I love that. And then lastly, as we wrap up, I know I need to respect your time. You're a busy doctor, but are there any books, podcasts, sources of inspiration for you right now that are helping you keep things positive or that you've just read and loved lately? Oh, that's a great question. So I have really, really loved a new book. Have you ever heard of David Goggins? And his, his, his book is Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. And it is so, so inspirational because it's talking about um, someone who really went through a lot of struggles in his life. It's kind of a biography. And it's been so inspirational to me because I just look at his life story and it really gives us perspective on how to be strong. And it's almost like a combination of biography and self-help, but I really, really have loved it. And I know you love reading. So that's a great one. It's right up your alley as well. I love your podcast. I think it's a really great source of information. And that David Goggins book is really life-changing. You should check it out. Awesome. I'll make sure that is linked in the show notes as well as your website and your Instagram, which I'm a big fan of. Like I said, I follow it. Um, but I really appreciate you being on. I hope this encouraged a lot of people to consider circadian fasting, which I think is the perfect gentle intro into fasting. And if even if that's all you ever try, like Dr. Amy explained, there's so many benefits. I would love for you guys to give it a try to let us know how it goes on Instagram or in the comments. But Dr. Amy, thank you so much. I know how busy you are, and it's truly an honor that you spent time with us today. Oh, Katie, thank you so much for having me on. It was an honor and pleasure. And thanks as always to all of you for listening and sharing your most valuable asset, your time with both of us today. We're so grateful that you did. And I hope that you will join me again on the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.